Welcome to Above Board with Canderpath. This is Matt Marcoux here, joined by my business partner, the president, John F. Kennedy. And uh, we're missing the Rich B, but he'll be back on, uh, I think, our next one or maybe one after that. We'll have the Rich B there. Hey, John, how's it going? Well, we've been having all sorts of internet issues. Things have been kind of crazy for us to get together and record this. Um, For anyone who's watching this instead of listening to this, are you going to explain why you're face is so red oh my gosh john <laughs> this is not the plan part of he's got yes, a birthday I, coming up soon and he's starting to exercise again so i i go see my physician every year on my birthday or thereabouts and it's the reminder like hey i'm getting older like get everything checked and what i typically do is since that's the time where it's almost the line in the sand of how my health is i tend to eat really really well and start working out like the two weeks before said appointment uh, that's coming up here. So I am working out every single day. My max heart rate is just it just beating through my chest. And so right now I am beat red. I just jumped off the bike and uh, just in time to record our podcast here today. But yeah, thanks for calling me out there, John. Well, I love it. It's cool. Like the 360 days in between <laughs> productivity. But then that five days leading up to that, the blood panel is going to look amazing. Oh, now. my God. I'm fasting. I'm doing like all of the right things. The, oh, but the previous are you drinking a gallon of water? I'm not not a gallon. I'm drinking a lot, but I refuse to overdo the water because it's it messes with my sleep cycle, my my rhythm. I like it. I like it. All right, let's dive <laughs> let's dive into this. Not your grandmother's yeah. IRA. Let's talk about it, Matt. Oh my goodness! So we have a new a, a, a new set of initials here. So if you if you hopped on here thinking we're going to talk about individual retirement plans, we fooled you. No, we are giving you a very early look at the new Inflation Reduction Act. Uh-oh, what does that mean? Uh, the new act that was just uh, put forth and signed in by the president here in 2022. And um, we're going to dive deep into this uh, and, and kind of talk about some of the things very early onset of it. Now, we're not going to talk tax code today. We're not going to you know, go too, too deep into it. But we want to give a very early look of how this is going to impact you, your taxes, your health care, and reduce inflation am i reading that correct john is that is that right uh well as if as if things aren't financially complicated enough now we have a new ira to deal with right but um actually let's start there because we'll keep political beliefs aside that's not the point of this podcast we're our job is to kind of talk through some of the factual things that represent this bill however there is a little bit of an irony in the inflation reduction act for me anyway, because I look at this and think like, well, we're going to, it's proposed to spend about $430 billion. The idea that we would produce, that we would spend more and reduce inflation. But you had a good point about that, which we'll, which we'll go on into. Um, but so it was signed into law August 16th. So, so just about three weeks ago from the time that this podcast airs. And um I do think from what I've read, there are most, most of the projections are suggesting it will have very little to do with inflation, <clears throat> though there are segments of the economy that it will positively impact, which Matt will talk about. Um, but is this more, from what I've understood it to be, Matt, this feels more of a, of a um, ability to, or, or effort to reduce deficits. So unlike the Build Back Better Act, which you know was spending and, and adding to the deficit, this has offsets, the potential of like $790 billion of, of offsets over the next 10 years, if I read that correctly. Yeah, and the way that I sort of see it as we, as we get an early look of it, there's really sort of three legs to the stool here. Um, the first leg is enforcement, which we'll talk about. So this is 
building back up basically the internal revenue service, which again has, if you take the partisanship out of this, um, there, there's a lot of things that make sense in that element. Uh, so that's the first leg of this. The second leg of this is helping healthcare here in the United States. Um, and then the third part of it is adding tax credits for the renewable energy portion so that as we um, uh, you know, put solar panels on our homes and add insulation and better windows and doors that there's some additional incentive there to make those very expensive upgrades. So it sort of seems like there's three sort of legs to, to what this act is. And I think we're going to take a, a moment and sort of dive into each one of those. John, do you want to start with the one that probably impacts our clients and our listeners the most, which is probably the health side of, of the new law here? I want to talk about that, but I want to go controversial right off the bat. Oh, all right. I like controversial. All over social media, 87,000 IRS agents are going to be hired. And they're and- going to arm them. They're going to arm them, John. And and it is a big talking point for people right now. And so you had mentioned, um, you know, kind of supporting part of this bill is to support the Internal Revenue Service. I, I want your opinion of it because we have some good uh, thoughts about it, but you specifically yeah. had had some. So let's uh, take it from the practitioner's point of view and less from someone who's thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get audited now that there's 87,000 more agents. The first of which is right now the IRS is um, is completely overwhelmed in their workload. Um, and so they need to fix this. And, and they can fix this through really a number of ways. And this act really does propose basically four new changes for the IRS. The first was the one that we just mentioned and that gets a lot of press right now, which is the um, hiring of 87,000 new agents. Now, the one thing that you may or may not have read, and I think, John, you pointed this out, was over the next uh, – handful of years, there's going to be about 50,000 agents that are going to retire. Mm -hmm. So some of this is just hiring replacements for those that are projected to fall out of the system. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the first part of this bill when it comes to the IRS. The second part of this is that it's going to increase the amount of infrastructure infrastructure that is currently at at the IRS right now. And again, I'm going to give you uh, some practical uh, views on how, how this should impact you. And then the third element of this is increasing the technology um, and the ability to enforce the IRS rules. And the last part of it is a very small tranche of helping low-income taxpayers file their return using some sort of a system that the IRS creates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, the, the biggest part of this is the infrastructure piece of the IRS. And again, as a practitioner, um, so let's say you, you've, you're a client of Candor Pass of myself and John's and we're handling your taxes and there's a problem. Something pops up and you say, hey, I got a letter from the IRS. Matt, John, what in the world do I do? Well, oftentimes the first thing we do is we got to pick up the phone and call the IRS to figure out why is this letter being produced? Give us some more details. What's missing here? And so from a very practical standpoint, this year we've had a number of clients that have had issues, not, not nothing to do with the filing of the return, but maybe their employer um, did not submit their W-2 correct or something along those lines, we simply cannot get a hold of the IRS. On numerous occasions, I have spent four, five, six hours on hold only to be hung up on at the end. And I'm not talking about calling the 1-800-IRS-1040 line. There is a special practitioner line for, for those that are either an enrolled agent, a CPA, um, or an attorney who has a, a direct access to the IRS. And we cannot even get through to these people. Um, when we do get through to them, it's a disaster. I, I, I finally, in one case, got through to the IRS and they needed something simple. Hey, Matt, just need you to fax us over 
you know, a copy of this form because it's not matching up with our files. So I said, okay, no problem. Hey, by the way, who faxes these days? But not a problem. I'll fax it over to you. We have e-fax. Um, so I sent the e-fax from our, our, our office. I'm on the phone with the agent. It took 40 minutes for that fax to reach the IRS agent. And I said, hey, listen, is there something we're doing wrong on our end? And he said, no, we have, and I don't remember the number, 200 agents for every one fax machine. I'm making that number up. But it was some ridiculous situation that I'm like, I'll buy you a fax machine and send it up to wherever you guys are so that we can communicate. Or how about this thing, new thing called email that we can securely send messages back and forth. And so I think a big part of this is helping not only get the infrastructure in a good place. Now, this will also increase their ability to enforce the rules. And that's partly how they're going to pay for the credits that we'll talk about as the third tranche of this. Mm, yeah, yeah, well said. So about 80 billion of it is going towards the IRS. And I read that 5 billion of that 80 is to modernize their business systems. And that in some cases, I don't really, we need like an IT person to explain this to me, but like I didn't, in some cases they're using computer programming language or technology that's like 50 years old. Yeah, like so, DOS. I mean, <clears throat> it would be DOS. Like yeah. if you even know what DOS is and if you were born after like 2001. Ones and zeros, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But yeah, they're, they're, it's the just so an antiquated and it really hinders our ability. And those situations that I just talked about a moment ago, it's money that is due to the client. These yeah. aren't, this isn't an audit and the client's getting things taken away from them. They owe our clients money and we cannot get through to them to explain the issue. And it's all done by mail. And, and that is just a really slow process. So I'm yeah. looking forward as odd as that sounds to having their, their ability to enhance the way that they enforce the rules. Um, and again, as long as we're playing within the rules, none of this is really an issue and audit's not a bad thing as long as you're not participating in tax evasion. And exactly. if you are, then, you know, you have, you have other people to answer to, but for, for tax avoidance, which is what we preach, um, and the ability to to follow the rules and pay your fair share, this is not necessarily a bad thing, and um, yeah. it would help us hopefully. Exactly, and and we'll move on from this topic. I do want to mention one more thing though. It was a tidbit that I that I enjoyed uh, reading. It kind of helped me understand it a little bit better. But this whole like talk of like IRS armed agents, so they do have a a IRS criminal investigation division. Um, that is specifically authorized to carry firearm in like very unique circumstances. And so they have about 2,100 agents, but it's four criminal cases that are like far beyond anything the average person I would imagine is dealing with. But that was kind of interesting to read that. And it gave me a little bit of perspective when I read things like, what is this mean? 87,000 agents that are all going to be armed and and uh, it, it helped give me a little perspective. Okay. Yeah, so the last thing we want is an armed IRS agent just giving us a day, like an audit. I think that would be scary. But yeah, you're right. That's a very small subset of it. And it's for a very specific purpose, uh, none of which I believe anyone listening to this podcast will, will probably ever encounter in their life. Hopefully. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. So moving on from there, you had mentioned talking about um, the healthcare side of things and maybe how it will impact and benefit some folks. One of the big things that I saw in this, in this bill is the continuation of the affordable care act, uh, specifically the healthcare subsidies that come along with that. So most people are not unfamiliar with the ACA at this point, everyone's got opinions of it, both good and bad. Um, that's not what we're really here to debate the idea or, or the reality that 
it will now continue. It was set to sunset, I believe, in 2022. It's now going to continue through 2024. Um, that will impact 3 million Americans uh, approximately. And we've had, we've had a, a, a very um, specific segment of our clients where either you, know, you, you, you lose work, you don't have the access to healthcare coverage, and then you, can't, you couldn't go get it on your own merit because you had medical conditions or whatever. Certainly there's, there's folks that are benefactors of it, but also like this unique like retire early scenario. So Medicare kicks on at age 65, someone retires at let's say 61, we got four years to bridge the gap. Um, and this uh, ACA planning that we've done with clients, it's been, it's been immensely beneficial for, because it's not means tested based on assets. It's means tested based on your modified adjusted gross income. And um, a quick tidbit that I always use in meetings that I think is helpful for most folks, uh, if they're trying to kind of estimate or figure out how the ACA could benefit them or if it works, um, the Kaiser Family Foundation has a great set. Like if you Google like Kaiser Family Foundation um, ACA calculator, it's it's incredible. I mean, it and it's really quite accurate because you can even like hone in on like even county and zip code. So that's that's a big one. Yep. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I, and I don't want to minimize that. I mean, we're planners, so if for that we you know we've had a number of clients who retired at 60, 61, 62, yep. um, need access to healthcare. Um, so we've done a five, six year projection, and mm -hmm. this now gives us the ability to continue with that planning. And, and you know, again, our the biggest issue we ever have is legislative changes. We could have the greatest cash flow plan in the world or greatest retirement plan in the world, and if legislation changes kick in, that out of everyone's control, that that can really blow up a plan. So mm -hmm. for a number of these retirees, John, that you're referring to, we have to plan out four, five, six, seven, ten years sometimes. And there was a big unknown of when, how the ACA um, premiums and the credits are to be calculated. And yep. uh, so this gives us a little bit more of a clarification. Again, like or hate the ACA, that's not the point here. Give us the plan or give us the, the facts and we can build a plan around that. And this this sort of extends that out for us. So again, really helpful to just have more than, hey, it's going to end at the end of this year. Now we at least have more of a longer term look at, of what the ACA looks like. Yes. And, and for the folks that are now, you know, now we're talking 65 and older, but for the folks that then are migrating on to Medicare plans, um, there's a lot of prescription, like the Part D stuff, the prescription drug caps that are now in play. Anybody who is even remotely close to this age or already on Medicare understands and has heard of this term called donut hole. This, this supposedly is going to close the gap on that by 2025. So a couple important things, um, creating a cap of $35 per month uh, cost sharing for things like insulin. Uh, so folks who are diabetic actually just had a meeting in regards to this situation for a client. And this is like a big relief for their planning situation. Um, and then capping that out-of-pocket max at 2K starting in 2025. Um, so, you know, back to what we started this whole show with, um, you know, the name of it, the Inflation Reduction Act, and my comment of like, <clears throat> most estimates right now initially are suggesting it's going to have a, net, a negligible effect on inflation. Really, its goal is to reduce deficit, not control inflation. But Matt kind of brought up a point, like for the folks in these certain situations, it it technically does because it it helps control costs for something like insulin that's now thirty five dollars a month versus whatever it would have been if you were on Medicare, right? That was kind of the point you were making, Matt. Yeah, there was just enough reduction of expenses that I think you can 
use the word inflation <laughs> reduction. Like there was just a small amount of things that might help a retiree um, reduce their, their monthly uh, outflows. Short of that, there's not much else in there as we look. In fact, it's, oh, I think, yeah, yeah. Again, there's not much else that I think was going to reduce your monthly cash flow, except to the third tranche that we'll get to here in a moment, which is some of the credits um, that might help reduce outflow, but it's requiring you to make a fairly large investment into your home or into uh, you know energy credit, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But yeah, to your point, John, there really isn't much else that's going to help um, specifically thinking of our clients and the and the audience that's listening here that's going to help you from a monthly cash flow standpoint to reduce your outflows which hopefully then you know reduces the inflation um portion of it but um yeah there should be we see here in parentheses like next to like inflation reduction act in parentheses specifically for these folks or yeah. something like that because it yeah. It can help control costs depending on on the situation. Or super big asterisks, like up top to it, like Inflation Reduction <laughs> right. Act, asterisks, like not really, but it's going to, few people are going to have a reduction in their monthly yeah. expenses. Right. Um, okay. So let's, let's talk about the energy stuff, the energy yeah. related home improvements. That's a big one. I saw like the old ones that, that have sunsetted or expired, I think, and starting in 2020 or 2021, went from 10% to now 30%, right? Yeah, it's it's a big jump. It's 10 to 30. And I think this was a big initiative um, by the White House to re really what's the only other advantage to starting the trend of becoming less dependent on fossil fuels, you've got to give the consumer the incentive to add $30,000 in solar panels to their home or spend a couple thousand dollars on on reinsulating your attic or putting in new windows and doors. I mean, those are really costly um, uh, improvements to a home. And again, one could merit what's the right thing to do. And again, if we're trying to reduce our overall carbon footprint, then there should be no incentive to do it. Everyone should just want to help the environment, but we don't live in that type of world. So we need some sort of incentive uh, mm -hmm. to, to make those changes. So yeah, there, there's a, a now a very large, relatively large to what it was prior to this um, credit for some of those improvements. And we're not going to talk about the business energy credits because those get really, really technical. But I think when we're talking about the consumer, you know, uh, we have a credit, you know, some of the credits for home energy audits, um, you know, a credit for exterior doors, credit for windows, uh, changing your AC unit or heat pump. Uh, you know, a lot of those had sunset and and were not, um, you know, a, a, an eligible credit. And now those are all coming back. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, again, there, we're still waiting to see some more details. Is there, are there AGI limits, adjusted gross income limits? What are some mm -hmm. of the ins and outs of it? That's a biggie. But as it stands right now, there's credit. So how do you pay for these credits, right? So we're now, so far, we've talked about spending money. We've spent money on the IRS. We're spending money by reducing the outflow of, of expenses for medical and prescription for seniors. Um, and then we're reducing the cost of adding, uh, you know, energy uh, efficient items to your home. How do we pay for that? It, it circles back to the first point of enforcement by the IRS. Being able to enforce the rules that they've put out hopefully closes that gap between what's going to be going out in the form of credits and all these additional costs and and what's coming in from IRS revenue. Uh, and so again, that, that part of it will be really interesting to see, but glad to see that there's going to be some credits back here for um, some home improvements and uh, making your home a little more energy efficient. I read that there was something like a $600 billion tax gap that the IRS wants to close. Basically, the difference between what people owe in their taxes and what they actually pay. 
And that's, again, back to your point, one of the initiatives where you've got potentially 50,000 agents over the next decade retiring, not only replacing them, but then uh, ideally staffing up so that they can do proper audits and stuff. I mean, that seems to make sense. But yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's a big part of it. And if you think about a lot of the enforcement issues, they're years behind. When we file a tax return today, um, typically speaking, and there's some, there's some ins and outs to this, but typically you have three years from the data filing for the IRS to audit you. Um, or for you to make a correction to that return, it goes to six years if there's some if there's some big deal, and there's a large amount of income missing or something like that. But for most people, it's about three years. So once that three year window expires, the IRS can't go back and say, "Hey, you missed something," or "Hey, we noticed this; it doesn't seem quite right. Give us some more clarification on it." Um, by them increasing their enforcement staff, they can actually try to fill in some of those pieces and mm-hmm. and help with that part of it. So. You know, again, if you're listening to this and you think, oh, great, now I'm going to get audited, you know, part of the tagline to this was that anyone earning less than $400,000 a year will not see an increase in audits. Uh, That doesn't mean you're not going to be audited. It just doesn't mean that they're going to be specifically targeting you. Uh, Mm -hmm. But still, enforcement is enforcement. And if you're not doing something right, no matter what income you're making, expect to hear from them, uh, rightly so. Uh, One of the stats I read is those making under $25,000. Um, because again, it doesn't just work for high income earners. Those who are not reporting income correctly um, can be showing low income, but there might be something wrong there, or they might be mishandling the way the earned income credit is calculated. And that's a, that's a biggie for the IRS. Uh, so again, this enforcement part isn't to go after anyone particular. It's just to continue to enforce the rules that that were put in place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and back to the to the energy uh, home improvement thing. So just just a quick like numbers comparison, what was previously uh, in prior years, what we had seen was like a 10% energy credit. So, you know, you put in like this, something that qualifies for, let's say new windows or doors, 10%. But if I remember correctly, it was capped at like a $500. Yeah. So you put $30,000 in doors and windows in your home, you get yeah. 10%. Oh, wow. $3,000 credit. That helps like maybe takes care of the, the sales tax or something like that. It was capped at 500 bucks. So right. you put all this and it was only for materials. It wasn't for workmanship. And most time they don't break them out one or the other. It's usually just the cost. But yeah, to your point, John, it was it was 500 bucks at the best. And it was lifetime, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, you had one shot. Right. So now what what is at least proposed from what I've read is that it's 30 percent and it's twelve hundred dollars annually. So it's something that you over time, let's say you're slowly over the next five, 10 years trying to improve your home to also be more energy efficient, you you have the opportunity to capture that, uh, you know, year after year. A couple other things that I want to mention. Um, so there was this high efficiency electric uh, home rebate. So basically, like if you bought like high efficiency washer dryer type stuff, that, this is the way I was kind of like appliances. Um, you could qualify for certain rebates, but there was a big, big caveat. You had talked about AGI before. The caveat is uh, you only qualify if your family income is 150% or less of the median income where you live. So there's an important calculation and distinction there. Um, and then last but not least, credits, uh, EV credits. So, um, you know, purchasing an electronic vehicle, uh, from what I read, it's $7,500 for new, $4,000 for used. There's a lot of fine print in there, but I think that's like the initial thought. Uh, you know, to maybe hopefully incentivize somebody away from buying a Hummer and buying a Tesla instead. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Right? Yeah. And not until they get their towing capacity where it needs to be. Am I going to be making that change? But 
Yes. Um, you know, again, any little incentive to start to move towards m more of reducing of carbon footprint and uh, less dependent on, on, you know, on fossil fuels is where, is where the administration I, it seems to be going with this. Um, yeah. And yeah, any little incentive you, you can give the consumer to maybe look at that higher CRAC unit or, uh, you know, again, we'll have to get uh, a Brad, our, our resident AC <laughs> tech uh, involved with this, but he can maybe give us some insight on what's the difference between them because I need to be educated on that entire process as well. I love it. I love it. Well, again, folks, uh, you know, not, not your grandmother's IRA. Uh, our goal for today's conversation was really just to digest and understand what we've learned so far. It's only been about three weeks. And so what we find with bills like this is as more lawmakers and publications are able to digest such a big bill, more stuff continues to come out. So uh, we'll, we'll update you guys along the way if we find something that is useful or we need to revisit what we stated in this show. Um, but uh, we, we love this stuff and we try to create clarity around things like this. So as always, on behalf of myself, the Rich B, Matthew Marcoux, thank you guys so much for listening to Above Board with Canterpath. See ya.